The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Everyone doing all right this morning? Good, 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 good. Turn in your copy of God's Word then to Ephesians 6, uh, verse 18. Ephesians 6, verse 18, you'll find it in your New Testament. Ephesians is one of the uh, letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, and uh, it's the next uh, passage in this series, Unafraid, that we've been going through, and uh, we'll spend the next few weeks in looking at this uh, pillar of ours, Unafraid Witness, or sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. And that very word there is used to describe many things in our world, isn't it? The word bold or boldness. If you were to go to HEB after church and and walk down the chip aisle, you would uh, uh, find the shelves lined with plain chips, but then these new flavors that come out, they say bold flavors, don't they? We love to follow uh, those bold leaders who make decisions that maybe are unpopular, leading us into a new ground, whether in our business or in our uh, government. But we love to follow bold leaders. Um, uh, bold color schemes are used in uh, decoration and in, uh, in, in design over and over. They catch our eye, whether through the vibrant colors that they use or the descriptive words that uh, they write. We are drawn to bold design. We also laud those men who boldly pursue their wife or men who are, are boldly pursuing a wife, stepping out on a limb to make their intentions known. But let me ask you this this morning, this question. Does bold describe how you talk about Jesus? Let that sink in just a moment this morning. Does bold describe how you talk about Jesus? And if it is, is it the right kind of boldness, a godly boldness? that you are known for, a boldness that makes decisions that speaks without any thought towards risk or the loss that may result. And if you were to answer that question as no, it does not describe it, what is it then that keeps you silent, keeps you timid? Well, as we saw a few weeks ago, it was boldness that characterized the early disciples in Acts 4 and all really throughout the book of Acts. That boldness that led to the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. And really the same has been true everywhere in every era, in every culture, in every, co- in every country uh, since then as Christ followers have taken bold steps and spoken bold words to take the gospel to the nations. And it requires the same boldness today of us. As we've seen it in our own church, many of you have done bold things for the planting of this church in this city, and it will require the same boldness if we want to continue on mission, making disciples and planting churches across the globe. And so let me ask this second question then. If that's really hits to the heart, here's the question that comes to our actions or to our hands. And the question is this, what must we do to be bold for Jesus? What must we do then to be bold for Jesus? And really to answer this question, then we look to Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, our passage today. So uh, turn your eyes there in your Bible and let me just read it for us this morning. The words say this, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." This is God's word for God's people. And even as I began to read that, you notice that we jumped kind of right in mid-sentence in a, in a teaching, didn't we? You ever done that before in, in your own life? Just jumped right into the middle of a conversation? Maybe even as you were entering through the doors this morning and two people were talking and you came and greeted and they were already having a conversation. And that's really what we've almost uh, really done here in, in Ephesians 6 as Paul is teaching on maybe a, a passage that you're familiar with uh, armor of God, right? In Ephesians 6 here, you likely know this. If, if not, let me just kind of bring you up to speed on it. He's teaching on spiritual warfare in here, calling us to stand firm, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And then in verse 11, if you just look back in your Bible there, you'll see what he charged. He charges us to put on the armor of God, the whole armor. And in verse 12, he identifies the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so in a, in a word or two, kind of identify the leader of who it is as our enemy. It is the devil. He is on the prowl uh, seeking those whom he might destroy. And just as we celebrate the work of God around the world, isn't God on the move? He is. He's on the move in our church. He is uh, redeeming a people for his own possession. And even in the midst of all that is happening in our world, God is on the move. But our God has an adversary, and therefore we do as well. And it is our enemy, the devil, who is trying to thwart the advances of the gospel. Unsuccessfully, mind you. But he is, but he is at work, and he is prowling around. He is prowling around. We bring this up because as it comes to our, our passage today and the theme in which we are uh, preaching and this pillar of unafraid witness, we must be clear on who the enemy is. It is, our, it is the accuser. It is Satan. It is the devil. And it is not unbelievers. It is not unbelievers. Those that have not placed their faith in Christ, those that maybe are antagonistic to you are not your enemy. They are captives. They are prisoners of war who need rescue, not an attack. We attack the enemy who is the devil, but by our unafraid witness, then we attack the enemy and bring rescue to captives, boldly stepping into this realm, boldly taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to be his salt and light in this war-stricken world. And so here's the thing. We ask the question, then what must we do to be bold? Ephesians 6 gives us the clue here and answers that question. And so here's, here's the first answer to that. If I'm going to be bold for Jesus, I must begin with prayer. If I'm going to be bold for Jesus, I must begin with prayer. And like I said, we just kind of jump in here in verse 18 with this uh, uh, participial phrase here. He's saying he's praying at all times in the spirit. And so even as we think in our own life, in our own pillars of a church, if we are going to be about the work of unafraid witness, it begins with unceasing prayer. Believing firmly in the power of prayer in the same way that we believe the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. 
And this is what we are to be doing, praying at all times. This type of dependent prayer that we talk about, praying on the go all the time in every moment in the Spirit. Why? Because as believers, as we are connected to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which is what the way that we pray as we are connected to Him. And so this phrase here, maybe it's a strange tune. What does this mean, praying in the Spirit? He's not referring to speaking in tongues. He's not referring to like some trance-like thing that we're praying all the time, you know, that this like out-of-body experience. He simply is referring to we are praying with an awareness of our dependency upon God and communicating with Him on the go. And as believers, this is paired with our, yes, our dependent prayer, prayer on the go, and our disciplined prayer way that we think about it, those specific times that we pray with a list uh, low before the Lord, whether it's early in the morning, at meals with our family, in the evening with our spouse, whenever you have those kind of disciplined, scheduled, regular times of prayer. But the type of prayer here he's talking about is just that constant communication. Dependent prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit happens when we are tempted. When we, when we are facing anxiety or a disappointment or doubt, in those moments when we need the extra grace and we're just simply saying, Lord, I need your help right now. In those parenting situations and those heated conversations with your spouse, when you need a forbearance or patience and wisdom. See, we are praying as a part of our worship and we are praying as we give thanks to the Lord. We're praying dependently in conversations with one another in our small groups, in our car as we are driving to work. Whether we're praying, God, would you prepare me for the day ahead and the assignments before me or the conversations I have to have with this person or uh, just praying because of the, uh, the inconvenience that uh, stopped traffic is. We are praying on the go while we're exercising, doing dishes. We are to pray in all circumstances. Isn't this what the Apostle Paul also told the church in 1 Thessalonians? To pray without ceasing. We're to pray at all times and in many ways. That's why the verse continues here in verse 18. With all prayer and supplication. We've seen this in other passages as well as he kind of uses different words to describe how we pray. Prayers being those generic ones, prayers of adoration where we extol and exalt the Lord. There was prayers of request or supplication, asking God when we need things. And so we pray this way. We pray this way in, in our service in the morning. Sometimes we pray of, uh, uh, asking God for things. Sometimes we pray prayers of praise and thanksgiving. But here's the thing, church, if we're going to be bold with the gospel, then it is born out of a prayer-filled life. A prayer-filled life. As we are praying at all times in the Spirit, then we will be bold to talk about Christ in all the things of life. See, the reality is if you're not praying, you won't be proclaiming. If you're not walking in the Spirit praying, you won't be uh, telling others about the work of the Holy Spirit and what Christ has done for you. And so if we want to be bold, church, let me call us back this morning to be fervent, to be consistent, to be dependent in our prayers. But what is it that we're called to pray for? Well, we take our, our cues even for what the Apostle Paul is asking for here. What do we pray for? We pray for boldness, right? We pray, God, would you make me bold today? Would you make me unafraid? We pray this way as the disciples modeled it back in Acts 4, as I already mentioned as they were facing persecution and the difficulties, as they were facing imprisonment. 
They did not pray, God, don't let us go to prison, but they prayed, make us bold with the gospel, unafraid of whatever consequence may come. And this is how we pray for ourselves. We pray for boldness. And second, we pray for opportunities, acknowledging the sovereignty of God in our life, acknowledging the providence of God over all the details of our life, acknowledging the sovereignty of God in salvation, that it is He who changes hearts. We then pray, God, give us opportunity. Put the right people in my life today. Make the people that are ready to hear the gospel, would you bring them into my life and then help me to see it as an opportunity and to take it, to seize the moment for you, Lord. And so we pray for boldness and we pray for opportunities and we also pray for the people. The people that God has put in our life, those that we know that are far from the Lord, that are hardened towards the Lord, that are just aloof to the existence of the Lord. We pray for them by name. And our challenge to us in this series has been to pray for that one person, hasn't it? to just commit to praying for, to consider who it is, how you can help, that God would give you a caring heart, that you would be able to communicate the gospel. And so we pray specifically for people regularly, consistently, as God puts them on our mind, whether while you're on the go or in the evening, take that as a spirit of influence and opportunity to pray for that specific person. Pray that God would tenderize their heart that he would give them eyes to see and ears to hear, that he would ready the soil of their heart to be ripe for the gospel. See, these are the things that we pray for. We pray for boldness, we pray for opportunities, and we pray for people. And so if we're going to be bold for Christ, we must begin with and continue on in prayer. Because here's the second thing that the passage teaches us. If we're going to be bold for Jesus, I must be alert with perseverance. I must be alert with perseverance. Notice how verse 18 continues on. He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. See, when we're tuned into the Lord to, uh, through prayer, we become more alert to the things and the people around us. When we're tuned into the Lord, He gives us eyes to see what is happening, the circumstances around us, and we become ever vigilant. We become, uh, we become on the watch. We have eyes and ears open to the needs and the spiritual condition of the people around us. It is as if as we are praying and praying this way, our gospel radar becomes active and stays active as we are active in our prayer. This gospel radar that is alert with perseverance, as we are driven by the mission of the Great Commission, our gospel radar helps us to ask this question, where is God at work right now? And as we are are community-driven and and gospel-driven, we ask, well, where is the enemy attacking? What are those great needs of the people around us? What families are hurting? Where is there kind of a systemic need where we can be an influence, a bold influence for the Lord? Even as we are holiness-driven and seeking our own sanctification, as our gospel radar is going off, we're asking these questions, where am I vulnerable to these things? What armor do I need to take up? How how do I need to take bold steps in my own life to say no to sin and yes to righteousness? As we are neighbor-driven, we are led as our gospel radar is going off to ask us, well, who around me is hurting? Who around me is sick? Jesus told the disciples there in Matthew 9, 11 through 13, and the Pharisees that were gathered, he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. He said, I didn't come to save the righteous, but the sinner... We are looking for those who are aware 
of their sickness of soul and the sin that has separated them from the Lord. And so as our alert is going off, as our radar is, is in tune to what God is uh, doing around us, and as those opportunities come, we don't run away. We don't run off and hide, though, like a deer or another uh, prey animal as though a predator has come. But because we are prayed up, because we believe in the power of prayer and we believe in the power of the gospel, uh, 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 the power of God in the gospel, we then stand up and speak up with great boldness and tenderness see, uh, and, and with great diligence and perseverance to what God is doing around us. See, our gospel radar is always active. It should never shut off. It should never, uh, it should never uh, be uh, left at home. But it is a work of perseverance, the, the text says, a work of endurance, a work of steadfastness. And just like we read last week as a part of our witness is, is, is first and foremost worship. And, and, and because of that, we're to continually offer these sacrifices of praise. Uh, continually in what we say and uh, the works that we do for Christ, we are to do it with great perseverance. We're, no matter where we are and who we're with. The gospel isn't just a thing for Sunday mornings in church, it's not, but rather it's a time we persevere in the workplace, with our family, no matter who we are with and where we are. In the same way that our bold witness is steadfast, we are looking for those ripe opportunities, those opportunities where God is at work and we are alert with perseverance to where, what is happening and who is ready to hear the good news of Jesus, those pieces of fruit that are ready to be picked. And in Aaron and I's backyard, we have a lemon tree. Um, and lemons, if you don't know, they come into season in uh, mid-November through mid-December, those few weeks there. And uh, this tree in our backyard is prolific. I mean, we get bushels of lemons every year. If you want some fresh lemons uh, in another month or so, just uh, hit me up and we'll have oodles of lemons to give away to you. Let me just say, uh, but right now they are just green and growing. They look kind of like uh, limes, but let me just tell you, they're not limes. And if you were to pick them and you were to try to uh, squeeze them, they would not taste like limes nor like lemons. They would be pretty putrid, actually. They are, they are, they are no good, but uh, they're not ready to be picked. Even though they are heavy and they are low-hanging fruit and they are there within the grasp of small children who love to be helpful. They are not ready to be picked. But I am ever alert. I am alert to their condition, watering them, pruning uh, what needs to be pruned, watching and fertilizing and caring for this tree so that when the season comes, I will be there for the harvest. And the same church is true of our relationships with people. We wait for the right time. We cultivate the relationship. We serve with good works. We are there so that when they are ready to receive, when God is clearly doing that work in their heart, we are there to plant the seed and to talk about Christ with boldness. See, we don't want to pick it too early and just come and, and, and bruise the fruit and, and try to pick the fruit and harden its, its exterior. Nor do we want to be too late. And miss the opportunity. Now the example breaks down a little bit. We believe in the sovereignty of God. But I think this is a helpful metaphor for us as we relate to the people around us. We, we don't want to bruise the fruit. We want to handle it gently but firmly. And pray that God will give us wisdom. 
that he will give us wisdom as to when and how to do this as we are praying, as we are alert with perseverance to what God is doing in their life and my life and how I can be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And so we pray. We pray. And prayer is all throughout this passage, isn't it? Because if I'm going to be bold for Jesus, here's how the, uh, the passage continues to answer that question in a third way. If I'm going to be bold for Jesus, I must back my peers. I must back my peers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Look how verse 18 ends. He says, making supplication or prayer for all the saints and also for me. And so here's the thing, church. In the same way that you are praying for yourself, pray for one another. Pray for that boldness for uh, all the saints, those that you know, for your friends, your small group leaders, your, your elders and church leaders, and pray this way specifically for me. If Paul needed this, Paul who was himself in prison for the gospel, who was uh, stoned and left for dead, who was constantly persecuted and constantly attacked, he needed these types of prayers. Now, I don't think that's the experience for anyone in this room, myself included, but we must pray for boldness for one another. You know, as we share our requests, as we share uh, uh, life struggles, the circumstances, the things in our life, opportunities that we have, let us back one another up with prayer. And pray in the same way, like I just said, pray for boldness for that person. Pray uh, instead of, God, would you provide a way out? God, pray uh, that you would make this person bold and strong, courageous, unafraid as they walk this road. That they would see whatever it is, whether it's a reason to uh, celebrate or a reason to lament, that God would give them boldness in the opportunity and to see it that way. Pray for the people involved in that, whether they be coworkers or family members, kids or parents. Pray that for those people specifically that God would tenderize their heart. So we must back each other up with prayer, and this is the most powerful support that we can give. Beyond counsel, beyond uh, words of wisdom, beyond financial support or anything, the most powerful support we can give is through authentic, genuine, Christ-exalting, Spirit-led prayer. This is how we pray for one another, and let people know it. As you are praying for them, just say, let's pray right now. Or if you're not, if they're sharing it through text or another request, just let them know, hey, I prayed for you today that you would be bold in this opportunity. Let them know it. Let them hear it. Call them to pray with them. If they, if they can't, leave a message with just a short 30-second powerful prayer. But pray right then and there that we would know and hear that we are praying for one another. See, the healthiest way to grow a church of unafraid witnesses is to have a, a, a church of unceasing prayer warriors. In the same way that our own uh, individual uh, growth in uh, sharing the gospel and boldness grows as in our own prayer life, the same is true corporately as we are praying for one another. And so redemption, I would call us this morning to begin shaping our prayers for one another in this way. Bold, powerful prayers uh, to proclaim the gospel in everything that we do. It is so key here that the Apostle Paul would request prayer for boldness. He himself, maybe the most uh, 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 unafraid witness ever to walk this earth, asking for these prayers for strength, just like the disciples did in Acts 4. And what then should we be praying for, for one another? God, make us bold. And specifically, bold to proclaim, 
bold to make known or to make clear, to make plain the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, here's the last point for us this morning. When we answer this question, oh, what must we do to be bold for the gospel? If I'm going to be bold for Jesus, then I must speak the truth clearly. I must speak the truth clearly, so clear, as a matter of fact, that I abandoned my alliteration from the previous points just to plainly put it out here. To speak the truth clearly. I couldn't come up with any other way that would just confuse us uh, in any other words. But look how this passage ends then. He says, praying also for me, verse 19, that words may be given me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. This is the teaching of the word of God. You maybe are, are familiar with a, a popular saying of our day. It's been around for the last 20 years or so, attributed, uh, though likely not original to him, to, to St. Francis of Assisi. And the saying goes like this, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. You're familiar with that? Well, while that phrase may be helpful, that mindset may be helpful to remind us that how we live our life matters, that we can't be hypocritical in what we say and how we live. The phrase is, and the uh, saying is not entirely truthful. See, using words is to, to preach and to speak of the gospel is always necessary. It is always necessary. You must speak about Jesus if anyone is to be saved by Jesus. We must speak the gospel and proclaim its truth with clarity. How will people be saved if nobody is sent to them? If nobody is preaching and opening their mouth to declare the mystery of the gospel? If nobody is there to speak the words and to tell the truth that God is holy, that He is just, He is the creator of all things, and He made this world good. But through Adam and Eve and our sin, it has separated us from this holy, righteous, and good God. And God, knowing the problem that we could not solve, knowing that there was nothing that we could do to remedy the situation. He sent his only son to live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we were supposed to die as the ultimate consequence for offending and rejecting God. But through Christ, when we repent of our sin, we turn from our previous life and, and the ways that controlled us, the master, our old master, when we repent and turn and place our faith solely in Christ, believing that he is Lord. God raised him from the dead, submitting to his lordship over our life, that he is now our master. When we repent and believe on Christ, then we walk in newness of life. God gives us new priorities, new ways of thinking, new ways of feeling, new, new uh, things that we do with our time and our talent and our treasure. As we walk in this newness of life uh, here on this earth, we have the hope for resurrection and life with Christ forever. And you must open your mouth and, and proclaim that in a preaching way, maybe declaring it, but also through conversation. And so I would just encourage you, if you're hearing those truths for the first time this morning, if you've never embraced Christ, then let today be the day of your salvation. There are oodles of people here that will love to talk and to pray with you about what this means. Maybe you have already embraced it. And maybe just the thought here of what Paul is calling us to, to open our mouth boldly, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, to declare it boldly, maybe that seems a little daunting. 
You're like, yeah, that's good for you, Blair. You're a preacher. You do this regularly, right? You're supposed to. We pay you to, to tell people the gospel, right? But for me, yeah, that's just not what I'm going to do. And when we begin to think about this, like images like these come to our mind. The image of the, you know, of the tomato-faced preacher. I think this is what it means to proclaim the gospel, right? Somebody banging on the pulpit and talking about sin and hell and fire and brimstone. We think that's what proclaiming the gospel means. Or maybe it's this next one, the street corner preacher with a sign. Is that what we're talking about here? That we need to go out to, you know, 306 and I-35 there and hold a sign like this? Is this what we're praying boldness for? Maybe an image like this, the, you know, the door-knocking salesman. Is this what we're going to do is just come and start knocking on doors? Or maybe here's a fourth and a final one, those cold turkey conversations in the park. Is this what we're asking? We're all going to go to the park and just start finding some random people and telling them about Christ. Well, let me just tell you, church, God can and has used these methods all throughout history. But let me just ease your anxiety this morning and tell you that these things are not what preaching the gospel is only and all about. He can use these methods, but speaking, uh, simply speaking the truth clearly, what he is getting at here of making known or making plain the mystery of the gospel is simply just speaking the truth about Christ clearly in big, bold you know, proclamations and also just simply in conversations. But we do have to open our mouth. We have to speak. We have to proclaim. We have to make it plain the mystery of the gospel. And let me just talk about that for a little bit here, because maybe that is, maybe, maybe the gospel seems like it's a mystery to you. So is he, what is he referring to here? Is he talking about like, you know, some Agatha Christie mystery novel? You know, a whodunit story? Well, the mystery or the revelation of the gospel is a reference back to uh, what he talked about in chapter 3. I'd encourage you just to go read it this afternoon. You should really actually just take, you know, 20 or 30 minutes is all that it takes. Just read the, the book of Ephesians this afternoon or put it on audio Bible and just listen to it here. But the mystery or the revelation that we now understand is that, that Gentiles, everyone has access to God. So as we come back to when this was written and who Christ came from, that, that the, the message of salvation is not just a Jewish religion. It's not just for Jews, but it is for everyone. And this is, this is good news for the whole world. The mystery that has now been proclaimed to the whole world that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your skin color. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account or what neighborhood or country you live in. That Christ came to save sinners is the hope for the entire world in every era, in every time, in every culture. This is the mystery that has has been made known now that we are to boldly proclaim Not looking on the exteriors of a person or those identifiable markers, but the simple fact that they are sinful and that has separated them from God and Christ has made a way for them to be saved. We once were all dead, but God, being rich in mercy, with a great love which he loved us, he saved us. He saved us. All we must do is, by grace, through faith, believe Christ died in our place and rose again that we might be saved. See, this is the headlines that we herald. 
This is the truth that we tell, that Jesus has made a way for you to be saved. And so, like Paul, we are ambassadors. We are representatives who speak, who've been commissioned by our master, by the Lord, to go and to make this known. And we have an obligation. We're not saved to just hide, but we are saved to tell. We are loved, and then we are sent with the good news of Jesus Christ. To the point where, even here, Paul, he was imprisoned. That's what he's meaning. He's an ambassador in chains. So much had he hadn't done this. He'd been imprisoned for speaking the truth clearly having those conversations and of talking about the Lord. And so how do we do this then? It's not those examples. Well, here's, how, here's an effective way I've found lately to be bold and clear with the truth is simply just to start conversations with people. It's just to get to, to know them and then act, uh, ask questions uh, about the Lord as you get to know them. See, accusations harden the heart, but, but, but questions soften the heart and allow the Holy Spirit room to work in their life. And so whether through coffee, whether over dinner, whether in the uh, backyard, over the fence, here are just four questions that I've been using recently uh, for, uh, to strike up conversation and get to the heart of gospel matters. And it begins with this. I just ask the simple question, who is Jesus? I'll just ask him, who is Jesus? This is one of the uh, questions that Christ himself asked the, the, uh, Peter and the disciples. Who do, who do you say that I am? As people begin to wrestle with this we have to make sense then of his claims and what he did and what he said and who he was in history god begins to do the work to reveal just who christ was that he is unique there is none like him the second one then as you get deeper in maybe it's in the same conversation or in another conversation is just asking this follow-up question then what does it cost to follow jesus we know who he is. Well, what has he called us to do? And what does it cost to follow Jesus? And this comes directly from his teaching of when Christ said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And so here you're getting to the claims of Christ, the commands to follow him. And then those uh, hindrances, those obstacles that they may be having in their life of like, well, if I do that, that means this. So you're just putting it before them. What does it cost in your life? And what did it cost Christ for you to follow him? So you begin to talk about not only who Jesus was, but the cost of following him. And here's a third question that I'll then follow it up as, well, what benefit is there then to following Christ? What benefit is there then to following Christ? We talked about the cost, but is, what, what's in it for us, right? What do we get? Here you begin to talk about the great joy and love and peace, the eternal inheritance that we have in heaven, the help that we have now by the Holy Spirit, the community of God's people that he puts in our life, that we're no longer alone, isolated. And then the final question that I've been asking is just simply this, why should Jesus let you into heaven? Why should he let you into heaven? And here's really where you get to the, uh, the questions and the, the teaching on repentance and faith. What it cost Christ. And so these aren't perfect. These are, these are just questions to ask and to begin a conversation, tools to help you as we try to be bold in how we speak about Christ. Have them ask others. Give them some scripture to use to, to look up. Ask coworkers. Ask others in the church and uh, read a book. But really, you're just asking these questions to, you know, to bat around like a badminton game that you can have the conversation with back and forth.
But what we are doing is letting these conversations, these questions, uh, allowing God to use them to renew their mind and to regenerate their heart. And so if I'm going to be bold for Jesus, I must ask these questions or questions like these and make sure the answers are true and clear, urgent and to the point, that point to Christ and let the Spirit do the work. See, redemption, we have an obligation to speak this way, to live this way. We've been commissioned by our King, by King Jesus, and sent by Him to speak boldly about Him without thought to the risk or loss that may result to our reputation or anything else. But just as Christ humbly and boldly laid down His life, paying it all, that we might be saved and we might be sent. Because we know, church, that the reward that we receive is far, far greater. Christ is worshipped. We are reminded and strengthened in the faith. And the light of the gospel has been proclaimed. Let's pray now. Would you pray with me for this boldness? God in heaven, here we are. And so we, like Paul, we ask you this morning, would you make us bold? Would you make us bold in these opportunities? Would you make us bold to uh, take advantage of the, uh, uh, the moments that you give us? And Lord, even as we ask that, there, there are things, uh, there are anxieties, there are hindrances, there, 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 uh, there's agitations, why, excuses that we would come up with, why we don't want to be, I'm not wired this way, I'm an introvert, I, that, that's too much, Lord. And even in the midst of that, Lord, would you help us to see uh, that, the, uh, that the worth of following you and making your name known is far greater than any, any physical, earthly thing that could happen to us. And so make us bold this week. God, we want to be your people, unafraid in our walk and witness and worship for you. We thank you, Christ, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand to our feet now and sing this song.